We continue uh, to look at what it means to be a growing church in a groaning world as we continue our study in the book of Acts. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 15, and at this point in this story, there has been a, a relative flood of Gentiles, that is, non-Jews, joining in with the early church, now, particularly in the city of Antioch, which has been the focus here in the book of Acts lately and becomes one of the major hubs. It leads, this influx of Gentiles leads to numerical growth, yes, but it also leads to some tension, to some conflict over the identity of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a part of the church, how you enter in. Some challenging questions at play in the background as all of these things have been happening. And so as we look at Acts chapter 15, we see how the church handles such conflicts, such debates, significant issues. And in looking at that, we'll learn how do we handle less significant issues and how, in fact, do we live together as the church, as the people of God. Would you read with me here, Acts chapter 15. We're going to cover most of the chapter, but we're just going to start off reading Acts 15, verses 1 through 12. This is God's word. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria and describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. And when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart, testify to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test? By placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we are saved 
through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. All the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. This is God's word. Father, would you bless now our hearts, our minds, our eyes, our ears, our lives, and even the world as we look at this portion of your gracious word. Would you meet us here and lead us to be your people, for you are our God, and we come in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You think about this passage, in one way it's really a debate about the membership process of the church in not only Antioch, but in that part of the world. Because the church in Antioch talked to the church in Jerusalem and they all got together to discuss it. And the issue then of the membership process is, is basically this. Do you need to become a Jew, be circumcised and keep the law of Moses, to become a Christian? Do you enter into the family of God through becoming a convert to Judaism? That seems kind of foreign to us, but here in the first century, you'll remember that up to this point, almost everybody who followed Jesus was a blood descendant of Abraham. They were Jewish. And so as this influx of non-Jews comes into this community of faith, they begin to wrestle with this issue. And in fact, some folks came down to the church in Antioch and said that basically it is necessary, you have to get circumcised and you have to keep the law of Moses or you're not going to be saved. You're going to hell, to put it another way, right? It's interesting to see the response from Paul and, and Barnabas, it says here, they had some pretty strong opinions about this issue. And the timing is such that we really can't nail it down where in Paul's ministry and mission did this all happen. Was it before Galatia, after Galatia? It's, it's a bit confusing. We don't have time to, to get into it. But you can see Paul's strong opinion on the matter here, as we see in verse 2. Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, with these folks teaching you have to be circumcised to be saved. And neither Paul nor we'll see the church leaders as they go up to Jerusalem ignored the differences. They discussed them. And in fact, the word for debate here... Zetasis, and the word for issue, zetema, in verse 2, they're both really closely related from a word that means seeking, investigating, and in fact, sometimes zealous, even to the point of persecution. These words are, are along those lines of, of passion and diligence and energy, investigation. In fact, it's the words that Jesus says, it's the method in which we are to follow and live in the Sermon on the Mount, to, to seek the kingdom of God, Matthew 6.33, similar idea in Luke 12.31. And 
Judas was seeking an opportunity to betray Jesus, and the council was seeking and searching desperately for false witnesses to condemn Jesus in Matthew 26, 59. There's this, this zeal, this energy behind this idea of, of how they handled this issue. They discussed it and debated it in the local church and then elevated it to the broader church. And if you know anything about Presbyterians and Presbyterian churches, you, you, you realize that, hey, these are some good Presbyterians here in Acts chapter 15. They are debating and then they're gathering in meetings and they're having bigger meetings and, and even bigger, bigger meetings. And in fact, if you want to tune into our denominational meeting, it's in a couple of weeks and you will probably see debate about issues, some more important and some less important. It's okay to discuss and debate issues. That's super clear here. But Paul will later say, toward the end of his life, in 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy and in Titus, that there can be foolish and ignorant debates. Using the same word, here in Acts. So there's wisdom. It's necessary not only to debate issues, but in fact to decide which issues are worthy of debate. So that's all kind of setting the table here. We, we need wisdom to decide what to debate and what not to. Uh, we need to talk about things and have discussions and, and, and iron things out. But it all requires a lot from us. And the way we have talked about it historically is that what we need is what we said in that last membership vow. At the very end of it, in fact, as you just heard a moment ago, and as you heard last week, where we submit to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace. Those are the two things that we need to deal with differences, to deal with errors, to deal with heresies, to deal with misunderstandings to deal with anything of this sort where there's differences of opinions we need to pursue purity and peace in fact that's in a growing world of of differences and debates errors and heresies wisdom and foolishness a growing church will prioritize purity and peace There's a tension there I hope you feel. And what you need if you want to prioritize purity and peace is that you need clarity and charity. And that's what we're going to look at here under those two headings. First of all, you, you need clarity about the core of Christianity. And then we're going to see that you need charity about the concerns of Christians. Those two things will go a long way towards maintaining peace and purity, which God desires. So first, let's look at that clarity. Clarity about the core of Christianity. And the, the first thing here is that, first point of clarity, the first thing to clear up is that the core is theological. 
Now, hopefully that doesn't make you just tune out right now or, or tune off, right? I, I, I don't mean weighty, deep, systematic, uh, seminary instruction. I, I mean a very simple thing by theological. I mean God-related. The first thing about the core is it is theological. It's about God. In the Greek, God is theos. Theological is the study of God. That, that the first thing about the core of Christianity we need to know is it's about God. That's the main part of the core. Actually, we see that in verse 4. When uh, Paul and Barnabas and some others go up to Jerusalem to talk about this issue, verse 4 says, They arrived at Jerusalem, and they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. Peter will get up in a minute and talk, and then it closes with verse 12 in this part. All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Do you see that? It's what God has done with them, what God has done through them. It's, it's about God. That's the core, a central part of what we're about. And in fact, as Peter gets up to speak in verses 7 through 11, he, he hammers this again and again and again. And it's just, it's so obvious, maybe we don't even notice it. But look at verse 7. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said, Brethren, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. Peter says, I didn't choose that. You didn't choose that. God made that choice and sent me providentially down to meet Cornelius and to see them come to faith. God was at work. Verse 8, And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us, right? God testified. God gave the Holy Spirit. God did there what God did with us, he says. Verse 9, and he, God, made no distinction between us and between them, cleansing, God cleansing their hearts by faith. Verse 10, now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we had been able to bear. God, our belief about God, our, our thoughts about God, God himself is at the core of what Christianity is all about. This God who's at work, this God who, he continues in verse 11, what? saves through the grace of the Lord Jesus, no matter what your background, no matter your ethnicity, your, your economics, your education, no matter the time, it is God who is at work. The, the first part of the clarity here is that the core of Christianity is theological. And the second is that the core is universal. The core is universal, and what I mean by that, it's about church with a capital C. Big church, not just local, and not just now, but the church through all time. 
past and the future and the present. We see this in verses 2 to 4 implicitly as the church in Antioch has this issue, right? And what do they do? They say, well, let's debate and they, they can't get resolutions. They say, well, let's, let's, let's appeal to our brothers and the leaders and those who are deeper and who were trained up by Jesus. Let's go and talk to them and see if we can come to some consensus. We're, we're all connected And you see the language here, verse 3, therefore being sent on their way, this is Paul and Barnabas and the others, listen to what it says, being sent on their way by the church in Antioch, right, they, Paul and Barnabas and the others, were passing through Phoenicia and Samaria, and they stop along the way. Verse 4, when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church. The church in Antioch sent them, and they were received by the church in Jerusalem. It's the church. It's the people of God. It is a universal thing. Even as the elders look into this and the apostles in verses 6 and 7, they they have this sense of, you see here, of them looking at it as an issue that's, that's beyond just settling a local dispute in Antioch or in Jerusalem. He says later in verse 21, in fact, and we'll, we'll read these verses in a moment, but in verse 21, James stands up and says, Moses, verse 21, from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. James is thinking universally. He's thinking all throughout the empire and who knows how far There are synagogues and there are gatherings of Jews and this gospel is going forth and people are converting to Jesus and following him. And so this issue is going to keep coming up and coming up. And so maybe maybe we need to resolve it and let's think about it carefully. But it's always in the back of his mind that it's not just him and his church and the local area, but it is universal. It's about the church and God's people from everywhere for all time. It's part of how we, we just have that in our DNA and sometimes it falls, falls away. You know, we, we ought to never have had a time when the church just wasn't mixed. You know, it's a, it's a horrible blight and sin on the history of the church that at various times and seasons we have separated and segregated by the color of our skin, by how much money you could afford to pay for a pew, by your voting status, by your property ownership, by whether you were viewed as property and not a human being. All of these things are antithetical to the church. They're not factors in who is a part of the people of God. The church and the core of Christianity is this universal idea that we can connect across any barrier and we can learn and fellowship across so many different divides. And we can, in fact, learn from each other. You know, it's been a great awakening in in the church, in the United States at least, in the last, I want to say, 20 years, 
to show our arrogance uh, that, you know what, we could probably learn things from Christians in other countries. It's an insight that ought not to have been necessary. We ought to have always been leaning and learning from our brothers and sisters throughout the world. But in fact, it's only been in the last 20 years that especially the church in the United States has recognized that there are other people in the world who might know something about Jesus and have studied their Bibles and have the Holy Spirit too. I'm only being mildly sarcastic. So we've had this great proliferation of commentaries and experience, and the internet has been wonderful to learn, because what you find is, you know what, in a different place, you see something I didn't see. You notice something I didn't notice in the scriptures or in my life, and you say, what, you know, help me understand that, and maybe it's nothing, and maybe it's something. And we all grow stronger. You know, that's the church, that's the core of Christianity, is this, it's about God, it's about church with a capital C, but it's also about clarity that the core is doctrinal. The core of Christianity is doctrinal, and that means it's about content that you believe. And we see this again, verses 7 through 11. Peter stood up, verse 7 says, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would what? Hear the word, logos, message, of the gospel, euangelion, good news, good message, and believe. They would hear the word of the gospel and believe. There would be content that they would hear and understand. And, verse 8, God who knows the heart testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction, verse 9, between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith and ours. There is a content to Christianity. There is a message that is good news. And with the Holy Spirit, when you have the content and the Spirit, you will get faith. You will believe what you hear. If you don't have all of those components, the spirit and the message, you won't believe. Right? There are so many people who hear the message and don't believe. Why is it? Well, they don't have the spirit cleansing their hearts and opening their eyes and their minds. They, they, they aren't born again. That doesn't mean stop sharing the message because I'm pretty sure it's hard to tell where the Spirit's going to work. If you figured that out, you haven't, okay? He's got us to share that message and to trust Him to bring the Spirit as He sees fit. I mean, these were folks who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, had the Spirit abounding in them, and they still were like, wait a minute. These guys aren't Jewish. How could they believe? That's, not, that's something not right, right? They, they're confused. And part of what they did is hammer out for us that we need to leave some things in God's hands. And he calls us to faithfully share the message, to have the content, and trust his spirit to work to bring about faith, which also means what? That there is a limit to our own ability and the pressure 
is off. We, we share the message and we trust God to do the work, right? You don't have to hammer and persuade and make people feel guilty and manipulate or anything like that. You share the gospel and you trust that God can actually work, right? That's core, God. It's about God and his people and the content of the message. In fact, verse 11 makes it super clear. We believe we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way also as they are. There was no different salvation program in the Old Testament or for the Jewish people or the people of old than this, the grace of God working in their hearts that they would believe what he says to them. That's the content. And the presence of the Spirit cleanses the hearts, changes changes the life. It is this content with the Spirit bringing faith that is the truth that sets you free. John 8, 31 to 32, Jesus says that. It is this content with the Spirit bringing faith that we are commanded to teach and live out in every age. It's the Great Commission, right? Jesus says, going, baptizing what? Teaching all that I have commanded you, and I'm with you always till the end of the age. We don't stop teaching. You have content that is delivered. In fact, Paul says at the end of his life in 2 Timothy there, that you entrust this to faithful men who will teach others also. Once a month, we read those words in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, I received that which I also delivered to you. That on the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, right? He, he hands down a content. This is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus said. This is how God works. This is how he saves. This is what he requires. All of those things working together. There's a content. And then the question becomes, right, how how do we handle the content that we differ on? There's some things that are really clear, right? And if you have content that can't apply to the church universal or doesn't have something clearly to do with God as he reveals himself in the scriptures, you probably don't have a content that is a part of the core. It might be a good idea for your present circumstances to do, right? Uh, and you can think of things like clothing or, you know, how you dress or whatever, you know, that, that might make sense applying it. But you can't make it a salvation issue if it doesn't apply to the church through all time. So that rules out a lot of things. One church I know of, a denomination that we were uh, encountering in Tennessee when we were there for 10 years, taught that you had to be baptized in water to be saved. If you were not water baptized, you would not be saved. I don't understand how you can hold to that and read the scriptures because Jesus is super clear with the guy on the cross next to him. What? He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And you could maybe make an argument for it, but look, that's... Maybe the guy was baptized by John, but he wasn't baptized by the risen Jesus, right? And he's going to go into paradise. How do you put that together? You know, this is a, it's a helpful test, right? If you're holding on to something that doesn't apply beyond your 
family, beyond your socioeconomic group, beyond your particular church, or beyond your denomination, or beyond you know, your point in history and time, you, you, you might want to hold a little more loosely to it and certainly not make it a salvation issue. No one is going to go to hell because they sing traditional hymns or because they sing contemporary music or because they use drums or dance around or whatever, right? These are things that aren't salvation issues. And it's okay to debate them and discuss them. It's not okay to, in a sense, exclude on their basis. And there's way more we could talk about here. We, we don't have time. But I would encourage you to think about those things as you think about the core of Christianity, right? To get clarity on that, you need to know that it's about God and it's about the church and a content that we share. And usually the heresies and the significant errors are going to arise in understandings and misunderstandings that is about God or about the church. Cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons of yesterday, they've refined their message more recently, will say they're the only true church. Right? You can say, okay, they've got an error about their understanding of who the people of God are and how God works. You, as, you, as you want to debate with someone, right, stop and reflect on, okay, what are they saying about God? What are they saying about God's people? About how God works and how you enter his community. About who is in and who is out. Think those things through. There's so many ways you could go with that. But that's so critical. To get clarity about the core of Christianity. It's part of why we have creeds over the years, right? Creed is from the Latin credo. I'm probably butchering the pronunciation. I don't know Latin, which means I believe. You know, summaries like the Apostles' Creed, uh, whole history you can look through there. You need clarity about the core of Christianity. You also need charity. And we'll just hit these briefly charity about the concerns of Christians. Charity, first of all, carefully communicates. Charity carefully communicates. We see this in verses 22 to 29, that it's, it's about dialogue and relationship. We didn't read this yet, so would you read with me? After uh, Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem, they, they talk about what's happened. Peter speaks. Uh, James shares a scripture passage from Amos that we read earlier in the service. And he says in verse 19, It's my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from the things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. Verse 21, For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. 
James brings the scriptures in and he says, look, here's what I think we ought to do to address these concerns, which essentially mean, how do we help establish peace and purity as Jewish people convert to Christianity amongst the Gentiles converting to Christianity? And he deals with, in particular, he suggests these four key areas that are particularly offensive to the Jews of his era when they looked at the Gentiles among them. There was all this idol worship, offering to idols, uh, sexual promiscuity, and these are particular things that, that, that James, in a sense, says, hey, this is the issue I think we should address. But before he does that, look with the people. These, this is the debate, right? They're in, in Jerusalem talking about it. And he says, this is what I think we ought to do. And they agree to draft a letter. And then look, look at the next few verses of, of how, how they craft this letter to deal with the issue that they just resolved in a couple of verses, right? Verse 22, it seemed good to the apostles and to the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, those are the two guys that were going, leading men among the brethren there in Jerusalem. Now look, look at what he does here in, in verse 23. It's basically half of a dialogue as James and the, and the group there communicate to the church in Antioch. Verse 23, they sent this letter by them. Notice when the content comes in, okay? Verse 23, the apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles, greetings. Notice he's dealt with the places, and it's a formal Greek letter, the way they would write then, the way you would address people. But he includes the Gentiles in these places, greetings. He calls them out. He says, we're speaking to you. Verse 24, since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls, it seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Okay, we heard about your problems, and we talked about it, we discussed it, we're unanimous, and we're sorry, in a sense, is implied that some people disturbed you, but no, they were not from us. Has he got to the content of what he's going to advise them? No. It seemed good to us, right? There were one mind. We're going to send you Barnabas and Saul and some others, people you know. Men who have risked their lives. That's a bit much. It's people who have devoted their lives. Risk implies they've given, you know, they put themselves in danger. Yeah, maybe, but that's a bit much. They, they've, they've devoted their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus. Verse 27, therefore we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves also report the same things by word of mouth. And it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. What? Now he's getting to the content. What was he doing there before getting to the content? He's communicating carefully. He's having a dialogue and a relationship. He's not bringing down a decree from on high, thus says the Lord to the church in Antioch. And he could have said that. He says, do you realize that? He says, the Holy Spirit is in agreement. They recognize... God is working through his church and through these leaders he's raised up. He could say, thus says the Lord. But it's not appropriate in the circumstances. These, these are believers sincerely seeking the Lord and wanting to live in fellowship with one another, wrestling with a key issue. And so he spends time 
communicating, dialoguing, expressing understanding for their circumstances, that they've been troubled, expressing a, a willingness that, that we're all in agreement, we hope you will be too, talking about the process that they went through, affirming them as people and their personal relationship, in fact, sending not just Paul and Barnabas, but a couple of other guys, I'm sure, for what? A Q&A session that, you know, if there are questions, well, what would you guys say? How that? Oh, okay. And they can talk about it, dialogue about it. And he's done all of this, set all of this table and communicated all this before he has even gotten to the content of what they're advising them to do. He's not just written a message, but he's supplied these personal messengers because he listened. Because it was about more than the facts. It's about people in relationships. That's, that's the church, right? That's God. If you've got the core of Christianity, you know it's God and his people. And there's a relationship here. So then as God's people interact with one another, it ought to be a relationship. It ought to be dialogical as much as monological is that a word you know we have sermons in kind of a one-way speaking but we also have everything else that we do together in life living out what it means to live for jesus you know it's it's i hope you realize it's never a compromise to listen to someone it's, it's never a compromise to try to understand someone's position. You're, you're, you're not encouraging error. You know, Julie and I had a, I have a privilege of taking a, a coaching workshop back in the fall. And then of uh, getting so much out of that coaching workshop that we decided to pursue a more in-depth study. And one of the big things I got out of it was that just to learn to shut up. I, I speak up here, right, for every week. It's, it's hard for me to shut up. And plus, you know, I think I have all this wisdom and knowledge to offer, you know, and it's like sometimes I need to listen more, all the time, listen more, to really understand what the issue is. How many times do we jump in and speak too soon, right? How many times do you give advice when really all someone wanted was to say, wow, that sounds hard. That's challenging. I'm with you. What do you need? You know, that, that kind of listening, that kind of dialogue, that careful communication is, is right here in the scriptures and throughout them. God speaks to us this way all the time, all the time. He asks us questions. He knows the answers. He wants us to learn and uncover the truth and gain our own insights, right? So th that's, that's the thing here about charity, about the concerns of other Christians. You know, we, we carefully communicate, but then we also have to, we have to exhort. It's the other aspect here. Charity carefully exhorts. It's about doing what is right. That's a loving thing to do, carefully communicating, but also what is right. And that's what he does in verse 29. 
28 and 29, right? It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than this, that you abstain from things that are sacrificed to idols and from blood, from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from these things, you will do well. You know, there's, a, there's an exhortation there, but notice beforehand what was said in verse 10. Peter says, Why do you put God to the test, you who want people to be circumcised, or they won't be saved. Why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Sometimes doing what is right means what? You're not requiring what God does not require. We need to stop that. There's no place for scolding and berating. There's no place for judging people based on your definition of what it means to be a Christian that does not fit with the core of Christianity. We jump to those places so quickly, and I think part of the problem today, and why we get engaged in bullying and yelling and don't listen to each other is because we lack clarity about what the core of Christianity is. And someone starts arguing with us and we don't really have an answer. So we just get louder and we dig in our heels. And if you find yourself in that position, go back to the core. Go back to who is God. Go back to who are his people. Go back to the scriptures. Go, and this is the great place for things like creeds and catechisms and confessions of faith. They have a place. Review them. Say, you know what? Do I agree with this? Find some that have like proof texts. I, I highly recommend the, the Heidelberg Catechism. Google it. It's for free out there. Get a more modern translation. It's beautiful. And speaking about the scriptures, I recommend looking at something like the Westminster Shorter Catechism. These documents are hundreds of years old, but they still, still speak to our souls and capture the truth. They're not perfect. They're not complete. There's a lot missing. There are some errors. It's not the word of God. But boy, to get your head around it, to understand the core and the most central things, we need help. And of course, we need each other. You have such a blessing in this church community to have someone like Alan Ellis leading a Sunday school and a growth group during the week, to have Pastor Dave leading a growth group and preaching, Pastor William leading a group and preaching rarely, offering counseling and wisdom, speaking truth into life. These guys are a blessing. Take advantage of them. They're, they're for the most part free of charge. And if you need more profound help, you know what? We have funds and resources available to help you get counseling help. Don't let money be an object. Certainly don't let your pride be an object, but don't let money be an object. If you need counseling with some really profound addiction or sin struggle or anything along those lines, talk to the deacons. If your marriage is really hurting, please talk to the elders. And if we can't help you, we can help you get help. Brothers and sisters, this is, this, is the, this is the life in the body, right? It's about doing what is right and what is loving. Those things go together. And in fact, if you notice the injunction, what he requires of them, idolatry, blood, strangled, fornication, there's some Obvious sins, right? Idolatry is wrong. Fornication is wrong. The things offered to idols, Paul gets into that debate in, in 1 Corinthians. We don't have time to go there. 
But the, the gist of what he's saying is, you know what? We don't want to burden you beyond these essentials. So out of deference to your brothers and sisters, we're advising you to abstain from these things. Right? That you just avoid the idols and, and the food offered to idols. And Paul will say later, right, really it's nothing. There is no other God. Right? But it, it becomes an issue of uh, not wanting to offend a weaker brother. Right? Those who are strong don't have a problem with those things. But it's those who are weak who do, and you don't want your brother to stumble. And it takes wisdom. It takes understanding of how to apply these things and live them out. But they're not salvation issues. You know, the church gets into this problem with legalism and judging people by where they go and where they don't go. You know, those kind of things. They go, you must not be saved. I saw that brother in the liquor store, right? He must not be saved. I saw him, you know, with a woman who wasn't his wife. There are various reasons why those things might happen. And there might be underlying heart issues. But that's the issue, brothers and sisters. That if we're going to be balancing peace and purity, we need clarity about what the core is. And we need charity about the concerns of other believers and other Christians. One, one commentator said this about chapter 15. It is the turning point, the centerpiece, and the watershed of the book, the episode which rounds off and justifies the past developments and makes those to come intrinsically possible. Do you realize that these truths are transformative. That if we can gain clarity about the core, we can stand together no matter what the world says and live in testimony to the truth about God and his people speaking this grace that has an actual content. At the same time, living out in this charity among one another with dialogue where we show the world how you actually get along with people that you disagree with, where we tolerate one another and grow and discuss, and we make the main things the main things and the secondary things we can differ on and disagree on and yet still live together in peace and purity. Brothers and sisters, what, what kind of impact will it have on our community if we live this out? And now as we get the opportunity to, to expand, and perhaps there's some things that maybe you need to repent of and how you've handled mass debates and vaccine debates or whatever, uh, do it. But as we move forward, keep this in mind. As we gather and as we open up as we move forward in ministry, work to get clarity on the core and work to live with charity about the concerns of others. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have loved us 
You have spoken the truth with clarity, and you have treated us with love and concern, not as we deserve, but you have drawn near. and sacrificed and given on our behalf that we might live. You've come to live in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that we might be transformed, not because of who we are, but who you are making us to be because of who you are. Would you continue that transformation in us? And may we shine the light of Jesus in this community. We pray in his precious name. Amen.